Good morning. What a blessing it is to be back here at Ward and uh, even in such a frigid uh, temperature time. Uh, so grateful to see all of you. And let me just say before I uh, dive into the Word of God how grateful our church and ministry is uh, for the impact of your ministry. Uh, when our church started 18 years ago, several of our core team members uh, came from Ward Church. And during the uh, time that we've been a church, uh, many of them have come who have come from this ministry uh, to serve and to come alongside of us in our mission uh, in the inner city of Detroit. And uh, not only that, but even uh, above and beyond the people uh, that Ward has sent our way, uh, you all have come alongside of us with so many resources. And so I just want to say to you, as was said earlier, I know that many of you give just out of the joy of how good God has been to you, uh, but many, much of the impact that is being made, not just globally, but even regionally, is happening because of your generosity. And so for that, I say thank you so very much. Uh, so grateful for <clears throat> another year of life. I became 55 this week, and um, Scott was telling me he's about the same age that I am, and uh, we both look good. <clears throat> <laughs> and uh, so grateful for God's goodness to have another year. And as we prepare to go to the word of God, let's pray together. God, we thank you that your word is holy. We don't approach it irreverently, but we approach it, God, with the desire for you to speak to us and that your words would change us. Your words are spirit and life. Your word says that it doesn't return to you empty, but it accomplishes what you purpose and what you please. So in advance, we give you thanks for what your word will do in our souls, in our hearts, and in our lives. And God, as a result of that, would it impact those around us and ultimately, God, maybe even the world in which we live. We'll be so very careful, God, to give you all the glory and the honor and praise in the name that's above all others. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I'm going to be in the New Testament as we open the Word of God today in the book of 1 John. 1 John chapter 4, beginning at verse 13. So grateful for all of you that are tuning in live as well online. Uh, we're grateful to have you with us. 1 John chapter 4, beginning at verse 13 says, This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. And this is how Love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on that day of judgment. In the world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. 
Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Verse 21 again. And he's given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. If I could put a topic on this text today, it would be this. What's love got to do with it? What's love got to do with it? It's Valentine's Day, right? And so how appropriate it is that we would talk about the subject of love. Uh, And on this day, uh, people celebrate it with many different intentions. Uh, Many times uh, those who uh, love each other will exchange some card or token of their affection. And you all, this day is a day wrapped around the word love. But you all, the love that we're talking about today might be very different from a lot of the displays of love that the world is most familiar with. Uh, there, are a couple, there are a few words that kind of describe love uh, as we have come to know it. One of them is this word of eros, which really deals with the relationship that a spouse uh, would have with their spouse, uh, this physical attraction to someone. But then there's filio. It's, it's this, when we get the word Philadelphia, it's this idea of brotherly love or camaraderie. And people can often share their love for one another in that way. But you all, there was a a love that God displayed that was quite different than that that couples share or that that brothers or friends share. And this love comes from this word that we may have come to know called agape. And agape means unconditional love. Love that does not look to be loved in return. Love does not uh, uh, give itself with a condition attached to it. And so in 1993, uh, uh, Tina Turner, who had gone through a very tumultuous time in her marriage and in her life and relationship, kind of burst back on the scene uh, with a groundbreaking album and with a movie entitled What's Love Got to Do With It? Well, you all, I came today to say in 2021 that love has everything to do with it, but not the love that is just between a spouse, uh, not love that's just between friends or brothers but love that is of God and from God that is intended to be expressed to the world around us. And the text gives us some ideas as to how that happens. So I want to just talk about three things real simply today. Love's placement, love's perfection, and then love's practice. So just three things, love's placement, love's perfection, and love's practice. So the first uh, uh, point comes from verses 13 through 16, love's placement. Uh, It opens us by saying, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. What a great opener. Uh, It it kind of says, uh, I want to be certain that my relationship with God is sure. I want to be certain that uh, if for some reason I were to leave this earth, that I would be assured that I am in right relationship with God, that I would stand before God and that I would be accepted by him. Well, how can I know that? He says, this is how we know that we live in him and he in us. How do we know it? He says, he has given us of his spirit. Whether you do it or not, each and every person in this room who has made a decision to accept Jesus Christ as his or her Lord and Savior, the Spirit of God lives inside of you. Look at verse 14. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone does what? Acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. 
He says, any of us who have made the decision to ask Jesus to be the Lord of our lives, we can be assured of the fact that God lives inside of us. Well, he also says that if God is inside of us, then his spirit is inside of us. I grew up uh, in the Baptist church. I've been black, by the way, a long time. I've been black my whole life. And, and I grew up in the Baptist church, you all. And I think my, my Baptist church kind of was a hybrid. It wasn't just Baptist. It was kind of Baptist and Pentecostal. I think it was kind of like Pentabaptist or Baptocostal. It was some kind of mixture of the two. And I remember that one Sunday, I was in the middle of sitting with my mom, and we were worshiping. And uh, all of a sudden, they start playing the Hammond B3 organ. If any of you know, uh, the Hammond B3 organ is a staple in the black church. I mean, you cannot... You have, you have a cross, you have a preacher, you have people, but you have to have a Hammond B3 organ. So they start playing this organ, and when they did, I never will forget uh, Miss Rose, this lady, uh, got up and just started shouting and jumping and, and all over the place, and her wig went one way as her head went the other way. And I said to my mom, I said, Mom, what happened to Miss Rose's hair? I mean, she was worshiping, and next thing you know, her wig is off her head. Mom, what's going on with Miss Rose? And my mom lovingly looked at me and said, Baby, she got the Spirit. She caught the Holy Ghost. And then when the music stopped, she went and collected her wig and went back and sat down. And I said, wow, she must have thrown him back. If she caught him, she must have thrown him back because it seemed like when the music stopped, her praising stopped. I equated the Holy Spirit with emotion. I equated the Holy Spirit with some kind of emotive response. And I do believe that there is some emotion that's connected with being a believer, but that's not what it means to have the Spirit of God. Spirit of God is not just emotion. He is the third part of the Godhead, right? And I often will tell people that you cannot accept Jesus and, and, and not get the Holy Spirit. And there are many people and many believing communities that believe that you can have God and you can have Jesus, but you got to wait to get the Holy Spirit. I equate of getting the Holy Spirit or having the Holy Spirit in your life is being like getting a, a happy meal. Uh, you don't get a combo meal and only get two of the combo. If you get a combo meal, you get a sandwich, you get a side, and you get a drink because you get all three in one. And the moment that you and I accept Jesus, the Bible says that in him is the fullness of the Godhead. The moment that you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you don't get Jesus only, and then you come back and get God later. You don't get Jesus and God, and then you come back and get the Holy Spirit later. But the moment that you and I accept Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the Bible says, that you automatically have the Spirit of God in you. And that means that the Spirit of the living God dwells in us. Amen. You know, that's good news to me, that God in the infinite power and presence of who he is would, would allow his dwelling place to be inside of us, right? No longer living in tabernacles or no longer living in temples, but he's made his dwelling inside of you and me. So the scripture says that the placement of God's spirit has happened when you and I acknowledge that Jesus is the son of God. And verse 16, look at it. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. He says, so then our, our reliance, our confidence is on the fact that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. The Spirit of God indwells us. And so we put our, listen, we put our confidence, we put our trust, we put our reliance on that truth. 
And then he says these words that should penetrate to the soul of everyone hearing. He says, God is love. That means that if we have the spirit of God living on the inside of us, listen, and we have love living on the inside of us. I've met many people who say, you know what, Pastor, I love God, but oh, I don't know if I have the power to love people. I've got the Holy Spirit. I've got God. I've acknowledged Jesus as my Lord and Savior, but that love thing, that just ain't me. I came to tell you that you don't have an option to have love if you have the Spirit of God because God is love. And so the, the placement, listen, the placement of love it's on the inside of each and every one of us. Why? Because the Spirit of God has been placed inside of each believer, and that Spirit is love. God is love. And so for all of you that feel like, you know, well, I've got the Jesus thing, but I don't have the love thing. I, I'm with the God thing, but I'm not with the love thing. You can't be with the God thing and not the love thing when God is the love thing. God is love. And so each and every one of us, we have the capacity and we have the presence of God to love. Well, how is that love perfected? You're asking great questions. And it's found in the next verse, verse 17. This is how love is made complete. Listen, if, if, if I knew that God by his spirit had placed love in me, I would want to know, well, how do I actuate that in the best way, right? How, how do I perfect it? How do I make it be all that it could be? I want my life, I know you want yours, to be the greatest expression of what God could do through and in me, right? So how could that be perfected? He says, this is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In the world, we should be like Jesus. Here's the question. Does the world see us like Jesus? Does the world see the believing community like Jesus? Are those of us who claim Jesus as our Lord and Savior reflective of him in such a way that when the world looks at us and examines us, they see Jesus? Verse 18 says, there is no fear in love. So this is how it's perfected. Perfect love does what? Drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. He says those of us then who are indwelt by the Spirit of God know that God is love, therefore we've got love in us, right? He says, now this is how we perfect it. He says, we must realize that we cannot let fear stand in the way of love. <laughs> Many of us, you all, have loved and been wounded. Many of us have loved and been hurt. Many of us have opened our hearts and been disappointed and had our love trampled on, been misunderstood, falsely accused. The list could go on and on and on. And because of that, many of us, to protect ourselves, have done what? Build a wall, right? To kind of be safe. And you all, on this day, there are many of you in this room and many of us that are watching who've been so broken by people, so hurt and disappointed by promises not kept, love that's been abused and trampled on, 
that we've opted out of love. We've opted out because we're what? We're fearful of being hurt again, right? We're fearful of if we let our guards down, then we'll be what? Vulnerable. And you all, for that reason, many of us are choosing to not let the world see Jesus. You know, I, I was sharing at the earlier service that I have some friends that live out in the suburbs, and they're going to come to the city, and they met with me, and they said, Harvey, I want to meet with you because I want to come into Detroit. I said, let's have a meeting. I said, great. So we sit down together, and they said, oh, we're going to head into the city. I said, okay. And we've got a prayer team that we've assembled, Pastor. And I just want you to help us because we need about five or six courses so we can understand how to be sensitive and to how to be culturally relevant so we don't put our foots in our mouths and, oh, so scared of the city. Harvey, what would we say to your people? I said, you mean like, hello? You mean like, good morning? I mean, it's not like we're in like another country or from another planet. I mean, maybe high would be a good start. You all fear of the unknown or fear of the other or fear of the different for whatever the reason can cause us sometime to not cross the chasm of difference and show the love of God. There are many churches that are very intentional in their church planting, and they start with the idea of being a multi-ethnic or multicultural community. They want it to reflect heaven. I love it. I have friends that have done that, have started churches intentionally wanting it to be more reflective of what they believe heaven's going to be, so they build it to be a multicultural church. I didn't start my church to be multicultural. There's nothing on my website that says it, but every week white people still show up, and I don't know where they come from. I, I, I didn't invite them, but they keep coming, and Asian people, everybody keep coming. And so here's the, here's the point. I grew up, I said this, but I grew up Baptist. So my comfort zone and my sweet spot are black Baptist people. Because you know what they do? When I say something, they say, amen. When I say something, they say, that's right, preacher. But then God, in his infinite sense of humor, continues to place me in front of people whose deepest expression might be, mm. <laughs> If it's you, hello, Cinderella. The bottom line is this. If I allowed my fears, right, my fear of rejection, my fear of not being accepted, my fear of not being received to stop me from preaching and proclaiming the gospel, then I would not be living up to my greatest potential. And I wonder how many of us in this room, God has called you to do some things and called you into some environments or to some people that are challenging. Well, before you get, you know, really deep in your thoughts about the mission field, I'm talking about your house. <laughs> I'm talking about your crib. I'm talking about the people in your house. For some of you, keep looking at me if you're with your spouse and they won't know you. It's nothing but the Holy Ghost for you to be able to stay sane with the person that you're married to. Come on now. You know I'm telling the truth. You know you've done something for them to notice you, ladies. You've done something, and you got your hair done, and you walked in front of them, and they're like, you're, you're blocking the TV, right? <laughs> the bottom line is this. We end up getting hurt by not just people that are far away from us, but sometimes the people that are closest, our kids, our grandkids, our spouses, our siblings. There's some of us that are listening right now. You have not spoken to your sister in years 
because she did the thing that was unforgivable. You've not even picked up the phone to let them know about your child being born because of the pain that your brother caused you or the pain that a loved one caused you. You severed the relationship. And my question is this, is that perfect love? Has fear been cast out? Because where there's fear, there is torment, there's punishment. And the one who fears is not made perfect in love. Are there things that I'm a bit uncomfortable with? Sure. Are there environments that I'm in that I'm often maybe a little bit uncertain about? Of course. But will I allow, listen, but will I allow my fear or my concern or my discomfort to keep me from showing the love of God? No. Why? Because this world is in need of God. If there was ever a time that our world needed Jesus, it is now. And Jesus is not going to come back down from heaven until he raptures the church. So guess what? He's placed the hope of the world inside of us. We are the only hope of the world. This is it. Now listen, you all, I don't know what side of the aisle you vote on, and it doesn't matter to me. Can I tell you something? Both sides are broke. Both sides are broken. We live in a fallen world, we live in a broken world, and we cannot put our confidence in government to fix everything. We cannot put our confidence in the business community to fix everything. We cannot put our confidence in the medical community to fix everything. There's only one hope of the world, and that is Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Is there anybody that hears me up in here? We're it. And if we don't cross that chasm of discomfort and love the unlovable, love the mean one, love the evil one, love the vindictive one, love the hatred one, then we really haven't loved. It's easy to love those who love you back, right? The challenge comes when we are called to love those who will not love in return. So we found out love's placement. We found out how it's perfected. And now, if you don't mind, can I close by talking about this last point, which is how it is to be practiced. You know, I, I love coming to church, but if I can't be given a practical point to take a concept that's so amazingly big, but make it like make sense tomorrow, then I've, I've missed it. So verse 19, we love because he first loved us. And here it is, whoever claims to love God, and I believe that you love God, you wouldn't be here if you didn't. You wouldn't be sitting watching right now with your cappuccino if you didn't. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. Wow. He says, if you claim that you love God, and I believe that we do, but we hate our brother and sister, he says, your love for me is a lie. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they've seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. He says, if you claim that you love the God who you've not seen, 
You know his work, you know his presence, but you haven't seen him. And yet you hate your brother and sister who you see. He says, you don't love me. He called us a liar if that's the case. Here's the question. Who is so significant that they would make you a liar? Who in your world is so important that they have graduated above the love of God that you would allow your hatred for them to supersede the very love of God? I believe that there are people in your past that are hijacking your blessing. There are people in your past that you've not forgiven, that you're holding on to what they did. Oh, pastor, what they did to me. You don't know what they did to me. No, I don't know, and I'm not minimizing the pain and the heinous act that they may have done. But can I tell you something? We said it earlier in the text that my brother gave. While we were yet sinners, while you and I were yet sinners, God commended his love towards us. Not before you came to war and started reading the Bible and started worshiping. While you were messed up from the floor up, he loved you. And if he loved you while you were a sinner, and he loved you while you were broken, and he loved us when we hated him, then how much more should we love those who hate us if the love of God is in us? He says, how can you say you love me who you've never seen and the people that you see every day you can't stand? So then he finally ends with this, verse 21. And he has given us this command, not request, not, you know, if you feel like it, not when it's convenient, but he has given us this command, anyone who loves God, oh, I love you, Lord, oh, I love God, must also love their brother and sister. Oh, in one, I'm done. In one moment, we could tear down the walls of racism if we operated in that. In one moment, we can tear down the walls of unnecessary partisan bickering that keeps us from moving things forward if we understood that. In one moment, we could tear down the divide of suburb and city if we understood that. And I believe in Jesus' name that each and every one of us that are listening have the love of God inside of you. And if we do, this world is crying out for a love revolution. A love that is unselfish, a love that is unswerving. A listen, a love that is not based on condition. I'll love you if you don't love me back. I will love you if you hate me. I will love you if you do wrong to me. And in doing that, we show the world that God is still on the throne and Jesus is still Lord and he is alive in and through us. Amen, 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 amen. So as I get ready to pray, here's the question. Who is it in your life that has robbed you, has robbed your life of love? Who is so significant? What was so significant that seven years later you are still hateful, still unforgiving because of what they did to you? Oh, I don't know. I'm not going to let anything interfere with my relationship and fellowship with God. I don't want him to call me a liar because I know I love him. But can I love the people who don't love me? Can I love my brother and sister? 
So on this Valentine's Day, my prayer is that as you leave and go out into the rest of the day, those that are watching, that you would ask yourself the question, who or what in my life has become so prominent that the love of God that's been planted in me is being kept from being expressed to them? Listen, listen, listen. I believe the one that hurts you the most is the one that needs love the most. I believe the one that hurts you the most. And you know what? Can I tell you something? You by yourself could not do that. That's why the greater one in you will do it through you. And when you show them love, you know what? They'll know that wasn't you. They'll be like, how did you do that? You'll be like, I didn't do that. (laughs) The greater one inside of me did that. And then once again, the world will see Jesus. Heads about eyes are closed God we love you so much and we are humbled that you love us that while we were yet sinners you commended your love towards us by dying for us and giving and sacrificing for us and God on this Valentine's Day we pause to say we do love you now help us Lord God to take that love that we have for you and extend it to our brothers and sisters some of them biological many of them Lord God figurative to those who are in humanity around us. And God, as we do that, would you let love do its work? Would you let love break down walls? Would you let love heal brokenness? Would you let love repair relationships? Would you let love bring unity? Not in some pie-in-the-sky way, but love that is wrought and brought by God. And we'll be so very careful, God, to give you the glory and the honor and praise in the name of the one who loves us and calls us to it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you, Ward.